Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is God's word. Well, good morning, Metro. Want to wish everyone a happy New Year's Eve. Praying that uh, this new year will be filled with much joy, gladness, family and friends, and light of the gospel, and that God will work in and out of season. I'm praying that this year for us as a whole, as a community, if uh, this is your first time here, if you are considering Metro as a community, that you will uh, build with us throughout the year as well. Um, so we want to welcome you guys. If you are new, if you're just visiting here, we are so glad that you are here to make it with us. Um, immediately after service, there's always a time to just kind of hang out and fellowship with one another. So feel free to stick around, plug right in. If you want to know more about uh, uh, community and life and uh, what Metro is all about, we, we encourage you guys to stick around. I would love to get to know you guys and pray with you guys as well. Now, if you guys have been with us, for the past few months, we are uh, moving on from our sermon series on the Bible that we thought we knew and as we dive into the new year. Uh, we're going to next week uh, go into our sermon series on the meaning of church as we go through the book of Ephesians. Um, but as we close out the year, even before we begin the book of Ephesians, um, this morning I'm going to dive into a, another letter from the Apostle Paul. And we're going to go into 2 Timothy, and he also talks about the meaning of church. So I'm going to ask that you guys would join me in prayer this morning as we dive into the Word. Uh, Lord God, we want to come before you uh, at this time. Almighty God, Almighty King, you reign. Lord, 
in our days. Uh, you reign through our weeks. You are almighty in our years. God, you are mighty to save. Your love is abundant. And Lord God, when we seek you, Lord God, we overflow with joy. Lord God, as we dive into the new year, the reality is there is much sin and suffering and season. There's much hardship, Lord God, and many circumstances that make us wrestle with your sovereignty. So, Lord God, we just ask, Lord God, that you will give us clear eyes and, uh, Lord God, ears to hear and hearts to receive so that we can trust in you in faith. Lord God, we pray that this word will be alive and it will be irrelevant. Lord God, that you will speak. Lord God, I pray that you will use me. Lord God, I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands. So Lord Jesus, may you use me accordingly to your strength. We praise you. We thank you. We honor you to the God who is able. We thank you in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, within a few hours, uh, 2017 will uh, come to an end. And here we're probably starting to think uh, uh, as we go into the new year about some of those New Year's resolutions. Just like every person in this room, everyone outside of this room, we're thinking about what's new. What are we going to do for the new year to kind of better ourselves? And statistically, uh, there was some research that was done, and it compiled the list of uh, the most uh, famous and popular New Year's resolutions and based on a, on a Google search. And from January through October 2017, according to this data, the most popular New Year's resolution is what we're all trying to do is to simply get healthy. Now, with that said, uh, in the month of December, November and December, uh, there would be an estimated 40% increase in Google searches for gym memberships, right? We see the correlation, but the question is, why is that the case? Why is an individual's New Year's resolution of getting healthy, why does that correlate to this idea of a gym membership? And I think it's this, it's because for these guys and everyone in this room probably, as we're trying to get a little bit more healthy, the reality is we need a little bit of accountability for that personal goal. We need to be surrounded by resources and machines that's going to kind of help us achieve this goal and at the same time have uh, some accountability as there are constant people just surrounding us with a similar task at hand to really seek accountability to be the best physically fit version of yourself. All to say is that to kind of grow, to kind of achieve a personal goal, you need accountability. You need people to support you. You need a community that has the same vision and same goal in mind. And in the same way, if you are a professing Christian or if you're kind of just considering the Christian faith, I would argue to you, I would plead with you to understand the importance of having people surrounding you for accountability's sake. 
if I can say it this way, to grow in light of a faith in Jesus Christ, you must plug into a community of believers that value the same thing. As we go into 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, we will see the importance of community in our personal call to love and to entrust the gospel. As a church community was meant to be a community-dependent body of believers that proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ. I have three points for us this morning as we talk about the importance of a church community. And it's in three questions. First, why we need community. Secondly, why we lack community. And finally, how do we get this community? The, the need, the lack, and the power. The first point is the need. Read verse 1 with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. I'll stop right there. 2 Timothy is written by the apostle Paul. And this letter is picturing Paul in a prison in Rome. Most scholars will say that at this point he's awaiting death. His life is coming to an end. It would be his last letter. And what I love about just this introduction alone is that even in this sorrow, you actually see a godly confidence rather than the, the circumstances that are currently surrounding him. He tells us that he is an, an apostle. Now, what's an apostle? The term apostle in the Bible is a, is a technical term, and it refers to a, a select group of people uh, who have done two things. Number one, that they have seen the risen Jesus, and secondly, to be sent out. Apostle literally means to be sent, and he was sent out by Jesus to represent and teach within his name. Now, what do we see in verse 1 as well is that it's on top of this declaration of being in an apostle. He says that he was in an apostle according to the promise of life. Now, why is this important? I think it's important because Paul is talking about the promise of life even though he is nearing death. And it is in this call as an apostle that in light of circumstance that the joy comes within an identity. But what I love about this verse alone is that it is within this identity, within his calling as an apostle to reach out to the people that surround him. And specifically, he's talking about one known as Timothy. Read verse 2 and 3 with me. To Timothy... My dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Who was Timothy? Timothy was one of uh, Paul's assistants. Uh, Timothy uh, was one that served faithfully with the apostle in many situations and various uh, ministry assignments. Uh, in fact, if you go through all of the Pauline epistles, the letters of Paul, um, you would see a mentioning of one known as Timothy. Timothy was a, a young pastor. 
And Paul, the apostle Paul, is calling on his friend and his pastor. And in this letter, he's saying, young man, young pastor, my beloved son, continue to fight the fight of faith. Now, what I love about this passage, what strikes me in this passage is to see uh, just kind of the language that Paul is actually using when he mentions Timothy. Although Paul was much older and Timothy, uh, then Timothy, and Paul is in a position of authority over Timothy, what does Paul say? He says, my dear son, I remember you in my prayers. Look at verse 4 and 5. He'll continue. He says, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Grasp that language, feel the weight of it. That Timothy, he wept at the last goodbye, and Paul, now he says, I long to see him. In fact, he longs to see him so much that he's thinking about his mother and grandmother. All this to say is that this isn't just some type of admonishment, but it's actually, when you dive a little bit deeper, there's a reflection of a deeper relationship. Think about this, a relationship with this kind of emotional intensity. It only exists when there's been a significant amount amount of life and ministry done together. The point is this. In light of the Christian faith, and if you do desire to take it seriously, you must do it within the context of a Christ-centered church community. Like at Paul being imprisoned. Think about where Paul would actually be in solitude without the love and care of his younger brother, Timothy. At the same time, consider Timothy a young pastor. Where would he be without the mentorship, discipleship, and the father-like pastoral care of the Apostle Paul? See, this goes to show, church, that we were meant to be a community-dependent body where people are walking along with one another just as Paul walked along with his younger brother, Timothy. John Calvin, an influential Reformed theologian, says it this way, If truly convinced that God is the common Father of all and Christ the common head, being united in brotherly love, they cannot but share their benefits with one another. In other words, we are called to a ministry of love and grace, side-by-side ministry where sin is being addressed, sinners are being restored, and to worship a God that saves us by grace and grace alone. If I can share a little bit of my heart, I can honestly say that it was because of this ministry, this community in this room right now, that there has been a, a, just a love and mercy and grace that has overwhelmed me to see Jesus a little bit more. And through this, in the years of ministry, I can honestly say to you that it was an honor to do side-by-side ministry with some of the people that are in this room right now. And yes, it does come with much difficulty. Yes, it does come with much hardship. Yes, there is much uh, suffering that we have to endure with one another. 
But let me tell you that it is of the greatest joy and honor to do life with the people that are in this room right now as we proclaim and preach and consider the gospel and seeing how it is shaping us through the circumstance. Beloved church, there is no greater joy. When the apostle Paul says he's praying for Timothy day and night in his tears, thinking about his family, longing to see him, it would bring great joy. And I can't help to think, this isn't in the text, but I think as he's going through this heartfelt response to Timothy, I can't help to think that the Apostle Paul is saying this, where would I be without the people of God? And in my prayers, as we talk about that need for community, my hope, as we, as we close out this end of the year, my hope and my prayer is that next year, you and I will all say, where would I be without the people of God? The gospel, it shapes our lives where it allows us to grow deeper with Jesus Christ who is within us. But the gospel also shapes our relationships where it allows us to grow deeper with the people that surrounds us. But if we're honest, that is the call, that is the need for a community, but the reality is that it is quite difficult. We're all sinners in need of grace. You add another sinner in need of grace, well, we're going to need a lot of grace. And it leads us to the second point. Why do we lack it? Why is there a lack of community? Read verse 6 with me. For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying of my hands. I'll stop right there. Now, Paul, he's now transitioning into this exhortation, and Paul is now appealing to Timothy to exercise his faith, to stir up the gift of God and fan it into flame, meaning, brother, young man, pastor, beloved, don't give up in your call to ministry. Ministry will be the most difficult thing you will do in your life, but it is your call, and within this call, to do gospel-centered ministry. Beloved, do not give up. Fan into flame the very gift of God for the glory of his name. Pauling's telling Timothy, don't quit on this gospel, but don't quit on this ministry partnership that I have with you. Now, Paul doesn't really give an implication that Timothy is quitting in the gospel ministry. I don't really see that in the text. But what I think Paul is trying to say, the reason why he's stating this idea is because it is highly possible. I mean, I've seen multiple people in my life just kind of deciding to kind of step down from ministry, you know, because of for whatever reasons. And for whatever reason, Paul is saying, Timothy, don't do that. Keep persevering. Keep enduring. And Verse 8, he will say on the reasons why that actually might happen. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So specifically, although Paul is not saying he's quitting the ministry, but he's seeing the concern. The concern is that sin and shame can do a lot to make you think differently about your call and your love for the gospel. 
In verse 8, he's specifically talking about shame. See, in verse 8, he says this, that there's two possibilities. Number one, that there's a uh, possibility of being ashamed of Christ and the gospel. Secondly, there's a possibility of being ashamed of fellow Christians. Paul is really just showing us uh, what shame can actually do, that the power of shame can actually separate us from gospel partnership. Tim Keller, a pastor of Redeemer in New York, he says it like this, When we are ashamed of Christ and the gospel, we are reluctant to admit we are his. We hesitate and fail to speak the gospel. When we are ashamed of fellow believers, we withdraw from them. And so it is with everyone in this room. See, the great danger, the reason why we often lack is that sin and shame is often a silent killer of a Christ-centered community. You look back to the days of creation, Adam and Eve in light of community with God, but in Genesis chapter 3, we will see that there's a fall. And in verse 10, it specifically says that as God was looking for Adam, Adam responds. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So see what's happening? That in light of our sin and in the light of our shame, we're likely to hide. Sin produces a shame. And when we begin to experience this shame, you tend to isolate yourselves and then it becomes a dangerous path because as you start to isolate yourself, then there becomes self-deception. And then in self-deception, there becomes self-absorption. And then you foolishly hide your sin where you then start to avoid people. Then you start lying because you don't want people to expose some of the things that are within you. If I could say it like this, Shame will paralyze you into isolation. And the Apostle Paul is saying, Timothy, be careful. Be reminded to not fall into the trap of spiritual imprisonment, but rather join to the ones that are in prison because of the gospel that is proclaimed within our hearts, within our lives, and with our voices. He's encouraging, he's urging Timothy, be faithful now, what that means for us is that I think it tells us that on a very practical level on the importance of people speaking into your life in the midst of sin and shame. And that's what I'm going to tell you guys right now, that, you know, if you're in that circumstance where sin is within you, shame is surrounding you, um, I, I truly believe that if you're in Christ and if you are, are love Christ and you love his people, we will respond accordingly to that and walk with you. A well-known biblical counselor, Ed Welch, says it this way. Hear this. Shame is tackled best in the context of a relationship. Granted, going public with your shame is something you have tried to avoid, but being open about it, at least with someone who is a wise encourager, is part of the way out of shame. Do not allow shame to intimidate you into silence. Now, if I can say this, many of us within this room right now uh, are just kind of coming back to the church. Uh, I think some of us are just trying to figure this thing out. For some of us, we're new Christians, and, uh, uh, and we're trying to sort out what this church thing is. And I, I think the reality is some of us actually had uh, probably a negative view of church. 
I mean, Tim Keller says actually that, you know, the church was meant to be a hospital for sinners. But the reality is, is that some of us have experienced the opposite. Or maybe someone or a group collectively have added to your shame. And let me be the first to say this. If we are a hospital for sinners, the church is also filled with immature doctors and surgeons, and we probably diagnosed very incorrectly. And I repent on our behalf. That is on us. But let me also say this, and I'm going to make this one clear. If you come into a hospital for your sins, there are way too many of us that don't want to admit how sick and dead you actually are, and that is on you. If you are wrestling with some type of shame that is preventing you from partaking in community, uh, my, my encouragement as we start this new year, would you consider to slowly plug yourself into a church community for the sake of life? It doesn't have to be metro. It could be any gospel-centered church. I just want us to consider, to explore for your growth that community is so vital to it. See, sin and shame, it does prevent us from our call to community. And the question is, where does our hope come from? And that leads us to the third point, the power of our community. Read verse 9 and 10 with me. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life to light throughout the gospel. See, in 2 Timothy, we see that there's a bold call to persevere uh, in the gospel, that through your suffering and when circumstance is called, we are called to guard the gospel, and we are called to entrust ourselves accordingly to the gospel. And Paul is making it very clear to make this gospel message to be pure. But what I love about what we're seeing as we're talking about the power of the gospel, we can actually see that the reason why Paul and Timothy have such a good relationship that's so uh, centered in the gospel is because of their love for the gospel. And here the Apostle Paul in light of that love and the care that we just saw in verses 1 through 5, and all of that is to proclaim the power of the gospel, to guard it, to trust it, protect it, to preach it in and out of season. And just as you and I, we do need to preach the gospel to ourselves, we also need to preach the gospel to one another at times. And that's why in verse 9 and 10, he just kind of randomly almost stops all of this heartfelt desires. And now he gives an exhortation, and he just stops, and he says, this is the gospel. That's what verse 9 and 10 is. If you want to know more about the gospel, you want to see it in Scripture, read verse 9 and 10. He says, this is the gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, this is what Paul declares. Paul declares that God has saved you and I out of sin and death because of grace. And it's 
not because of anything that we have did, but because of its own purpose and grace. That's what verse 10 declares, that you and I bring nothing into salvation except sin. So it is by grace and grace alone from beginning to end that we see the person and work of Jesus Christ. He saved us from eternal damnation, that even though we deserve the worst judgment, the person and work of Christ not only saves, but he gives you and I new life. See, that's why I love about verse 9 and 10 as he starts and just kind of proclaims the gospel. Because not only does he say that the gospel is just deliverance from a, a negative consequence of sin, judgment, and death, it also brings positive blessing. He says that you and I, we receive eternal life, eternal glory, new hope, grace for the day, and hope for the tomorrow. And that also includes a community of people to help us see this light through our darkness. Listen, when you believe that Jesus Christ has intentionally lived a life that you couldn't live and intentionally died the death you could not die, I would argue that it should move you into the same way. That just as Christ was intentional towards you, we are called to be intentional towards one another. That means that it should, that the gospel, the call to the gospel, it should move us towards a deeper penetration of intentionality and love towards one another, despite race, sex, class, and age. The power of the gospel, if not central to the church community, then you take away the power of the work that the church can actually do today. I'm going to read verse 13 and 14 as we begin to kind of close us out. When you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now it makes it very clear. The Apostle Paul, as he comes to an end, He's saying, Timothy, in all that you do, make sure you guard this gospel. Guard the gospel. And I'm going to ask you guys practically this simple question. Who will play the role of an, an Apostle Paul in your life? Who will you allow to speak into your life when sin and shame begins to entangle your heart? But at the same time, who will you allow to consider to, to, to let someone speak the gospel, to preach it, to proclaim it in the context of relationships? That is my hope and that is my prayer for everyone here that there will be a trust as you trust in the Lord. That's first and foremost. You, before you do relationships well, I really believe that, you know, if you're a believer, it has to come before you and the Lord first and foremost. But as you consider this gospel call, 
Who will you allow to speak into you, to walk with you in light of your sin, shame, and suffering? You know, this past week, if I could be a little bit honest, I was uh, speaking at a a retreat for a a youth ministry uh, up in New York, and I could honestly say, you know, without going into detail, it, it was very, very difficult for me on a very personal level. You know, if you ask people, ask me, how'd you do? Well, I think from a preaching standpoint, yeah, I think God used me, and I think it was for the glory. And, you know, I felt, you know, I felt, you know, some godly empowerment, right, in terms of a speaking standpoint. But, but you know, if you ask me on a personal level during this week, it was, it was kind of tough. And I'm not going to go into detail on what it is, but I'm just saying that I really felt the stirring of my heart where, where uh, my sin was starting to just kind of, outpour and I'm kind of questioning about my idolatries. I'm kind of considering my circumstances as I'm doing gospel ministry because it is kind of tough if I'm honest. I felt like, the, I felt like Timothy and I can honestly say I, I praise God because as I was going through that, I had, to, I had to just reach out to some brothers. I had to just reach out to some people. And I had to let them speak into my life. I had to let them pour out some love and some grace and some rebuke. And in that, where would I be without the people of God? You know, the church has been very good to me. And my prayer is that the church would be very good to you. My hope for the years that this will continue to build. My hope is that this will continue to grow. My hope is that, yes, it will be hard, and even though it will be hard and difficult, right, we have to confront sin, and we have to confront it heads on, and it's going to be tough. Yes, there are going to be sufferings, and yes, there are going to be circumstances that's going to just break and hurt a little bit. But as we consider the power of the gospel I do believe that it is power for our relationships, our communities, our churches, and our cities. And as I always declare, yes, it will be, it will be grace for today and hope for tomorrow. Would you join and consider with me as we start this new year? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me?